So um, he's in chapter two gone through, uh, you know, some very specific instructions uh, to the older men, the older women, the people of the church. And uh, really here, this starts back in verse 11 of chapter two for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one of the you know, key doctrinal positions in regard to Jesus being God. Uh, Paul referring to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, the Greek uh, rules of language tell us that's one and the same. Our great God is our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us for, uh, excuse me, uh, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speaking these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Now, that sort of sets the mind as we move forward into chapter 3. But uh, a lot of what is dealt with both in the book of Timothy and in Titus is what these pastors are going to have to contend with. Uh, particularly, they have the Jews who have infiltrated Christianity. Uh, they claim to be Christians, but really they're trying to pollute Christianity. Uh, you know, we refer to them, Scripture refers to them as the Judaizers. And the, the basic concept is, is they're trying to teach and force uh, the young Christians in this um, community and in this time frame uh, into the idea that they have to first become Jewish religiously, and that will allow them to be Christians. So they're, they're combating that. And then also within this, there's sort of a subgroup that, that are Judaizers, but today they're a little different for us. And they're, you know, this highbrow um, sort of holier-than-thou legalistic uh, people that are in and throughout Christianity that, you know, have that mindset like they know better than everybody else and everybody should follow them and, you know, leave whatever church they're involved in and become the personal disciple of those individuals. The, the point uh, that I'm making within this is that Paul just, you know, emphasized the fact that it's, it's about purity. The power of God working in the life of the Christian today is that it frees you from sin. Right, you know, all this this other stuff is rooted in pride, be it being a Judaizer or being someone who comes and insists, oh, you know, I've found something in the Scripture no one else has seen, and you need to become, you know, my disciple, my student, and you know, follow me. It's rooted in pride. You know, pride is the original sin. It's the thing that ensnares, you know, well, I would say all of us, and causes us to stumble into the flesh and there thereby whatever we are prone to personally that becomes evident you know, paul is saying to titus 
you know, you need to make sure that the focus is that the Holy Spirit is redeeming people and purifying them. They're, they're departing from their sin. What they were born as, what their natural character is, regardless of how religious they are. What their natural character was, they're departing from that. They're becoming more and more holy in their walk with Christ. He, he honestly is not overly, and I don't, I don't mean he's not concerned at all with doctrine, but he's not overly concerned with that. He's talking about the integrity of the person, the purity of their life and their relationship with God. So verse 1 of chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey and be ready for every good work. Now, here we are engaged in this conflict with our government presently over are we going to obey them? And just so that you're aware, big things have happened, particularly in the court case of Ken Graves versus Janet Mills, state of Maine. And the Supreme Court is going to be, you know, making decisions in the coming days. This is discrimination against Christianity. It, it, it is systematically targeting Christianity. And we know that. And the courts are now aware of that. And in the coming days, you're going to see that things are going to change and that a lot of this nonsense that's been going on the courts are going to be forced to deal with it. You know, if you're thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to turn out. L look at how they've already dealt with all of the court cases before. They've, they've told these governors over and over again, you cannot infringe upon Christianity. If, if you're allowing, you know, limitless numbers of people to go to Home Depot, you can't place, you know, these ridiculous burdens upon churches and say you can only have, you know, 50 people in your building. It's targeted uh, persecution. And people say, oh, well, we're supposed to obey the authorities that are over us right here. Well, here's the thing, you guys. The authority that's over us in this nation, and, and this isn't just some radical ultra right wing perspective, the authority that is over all of us in this nation is the Constitution, including our governors. And so when, when we come to a place where our governors are no longer obeying the rule of law, when we say, no, we're not going to follow you, what we're saying is we're going we're gonna to continue to obey the rules. You're breaking the rules and headed off into Never Never Land. We're going to stay right here and be subjected to the laws that govern us, particularly in regard to our worship. So this nonsense that's been going around inside Christianity, like, oh, you know, you can't defy the governors, you can't, you know, resist them, you have to stop going to church, that is a load of nonsense. We, we are, in fact, obeying the authorities that have been placed over us, right? If I, you know, insisted upon you... Uh, you know, we're, we're going to go break the law together because I insist that it's okay. You know, as your pastor, I demand that you go break the law with me. When you say, I'm not doing that, you're not being disobedient at that point, right? You're obeying the laws. You're obeying God. 
And, and that's what we're facing. So there are times to resist, right? Did we not see that same attitude in Peter and John when they were told, you can no longer preach in Jesus' name? And they told them, tough luck. And they continued, even after they had been imprisoned and beaten, right? They went right back to the temple the next day and started preaching. And weren't those people outraged, the religious leaders? Weren't they outraged over the fact that they had disobeyed the authority? Peter puts that statement forward and says, you're going to have to decide. I'm paraphrasing all of this. But, you know, he says, you're going to have to decide. For yourself, what's right, whether we should obey God or man. But for as for us, we're going to obey God. So, so when you read, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. The good work we're conducting is worship. We're coming together and worshiping the Lord. To speak uh, evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. The general sense of a Christian believer of being kind and gentle, you know, contrast this with what Paul has described previously of how, you know, left to our own nature, we were all sinful, all backbiters, all, you know, talking evil and, and doing sinful things. The contrast is that as believers, we should be men and women who have that sense of gentleness and that sense of peace with humility in discussing with people. It's, it's easy um, uh, for me to recognize when my pride kicks in. You know, it, it's not always in the moment but it's easy to look back and go, oh, wow, you know, that was that was not godly. And, you know, I'm actually grateful for the fact that today, you know, you know, years past, literally it would be years later and I'd be reflecting on something and think, oh, wow, I re was really sinful, you know, in that, you know, time in my life. And, you know, it got to where it was months would pass, and you think, oh boy, that period of time I was really not walking. And then you know, it got to where it was weeks, you know, and then days, and then you know, hours and moments where in one moment you're in the flesh, you're running your mouth, you're acting terrible. It's nice, you know, now that at least some of the time I can see it coming, you know, beforehand. You know, it's not always after the fact anymore. This is what Paul is saying, that, that the conduct of the Christian should should be changing and becoming peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, and here is his confession, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. I mean, this is the summary of, you know, my whole existence, probably your whole existence before you knew the Lord. Uh, the, just the sort of aggressive, uh, I'll say stupid, disobedient, uh, ignorant behavior. Uh, the summary, you know, this, this was, whether you knew it or not, this was the back of your business card. 
You know what I'm saying? This is how we lived. And Christ, you know, has redeemed us. I hope that you, you know, understand that, you know, there is a progress. There is a maturing that takes place over time. You know, you shouldn't be discouraged with yourself. If you've surrendered your life to Christ and you're still thinking, I'm a terrible soul. <laughs> okay, but has there been a change? Okay, so if there's been some progress, then look around at your brothers and sisters who've walked with the Lord for longer, right? Do, do they, you know, confess to you that there was a time where their conduct was wretched and horrible and, you know, constantly sinful and always fitting this description? You know, my, my every moment was this way, you know, foolish, disobedient, deceived serving various lusts and pleasure, living in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. Uh, that, that, was, that was my every moment of every day. Whether I thought it was or not, you know, I thought, you know, I would probably have told you I'm a pretty nice guy. <laughs> you know, ask around the people that have had to endure me. You know, they would have told you, no way. You know, run away. <laughs> I have nothing to do with that guy. Uh, today, I can still recognize that the Lord is working on these things in my life, but my goodness, what a change in your life that I notice, you know, in my life that I notice. The things the Lord has progressed us through, the changes that have occurred. Very, very grateful for that. Verse 4, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pause there and I want to point out that the one occasion in the scripture where this regeneration is spoken of, it is is speaking of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Now, whether we've ever put it together or not, it's important to understand how significant that conversation is. Historically, doctrinally, practically, okay? Because Jesus had conversations with murderers, right? Hanging on the cross, he said to the man next to him, I tell you that today you'll be with me in paradise. He had conversations with thieves. You know, he said to Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, I'm going to your house today. Right? He said to prostitutes, you know, your sins are forgiven. He, he had conversations all along the way where he could have said to any one of them, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. He doesn't have that conversation with any of them. He has it with the most religious man. And follow me in this. This will sound like an exaggeration. He has it with the most religious man in the world at that time. Literally. You read... John 3, Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Okay? 
it, it is recorded in several places in Jewish history that Nicodemus was the most sought-after teacher above anyone else. Hey, Jesus saying, are you not the teacher of Israel? And you do not know this, right? You will not, you, Nicodemus, will not even see the kingdom of God unless you have been regenerated, born again. That's significant, right? Because if he says it to the murderer, or he says it to the thief, or he says it to the prostitute, we go, well, of course. He says it to the most religious man on the planet, right? The Jews were the most religious. They had all of the scriptures. They were the most studied. They far and above had the revelation of God beyond all of the other pagan nations of the world. And here's Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, being told, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. That, that says to you and me, our religious efforts are garbage. Which is what Isaiah said, right? That all of our righteousness as, plural, your righteousness and my righteousness, all heaped together is filthy rags. It's disgusting. Right? All, all that we could amass as the human race of righteousnesses combined is disgusting. Why? Because perfection is the standard. It takes Jesus Christ's Holy Spirit imparted to us, regenerating us. I, I go through all of that effort so that we understand, right? Uh, there are those that say, you know, he saves us through the washing of regeneration. And they say, see, that's, that's baptism. Okay, it's not baptism. It's the born again, regeneration that he spoke to Nicodemus, the most religious man in the world, needed to be born again. That means every single one of us needs to be born again also. This renewing, this regeneration, nothing to do with becoming Jewish in order to become Christian, nothing to do with you know, the divine revelation you've discovered that no one else has realized and everybody should be your student. It has nothing to do with your pride, your arrogance, your loftiness. It has to do with every single one of us is a filthy, rotten sinner that fits in to some of that description from verse 3 who's in need of being cleansed, washed, from all of that filthiness by regeneration. You got to become something else. You can't be what you were. My illustration with uh, especially the guys in prison when I do jail ministries, continue to pray for that. The doors are open and, you know, COVID-19, we're still trying to get the guys to come to Zoom meetings. And I'm, I'm anxious to see that happen. So please pray for that. But my illustration with them is, you know, sin is the magnet, and you're the ball bearing, and you're just always going to be attracted to it. You have the nature <laughs> that's going to be drawn into the magnet, 
And you can put barriers in place, right? But honestly, if you if you put you know the plastic barrier between the magnet and the ball bearing, you could probably pick all three of them up together, right? The the, the plastic and the magnet and the ball bearing would be stuck to it. Why? Because it's being drawn to it. The barrier might be preventing it, but the desire, shall we say, is still there. You know, and I just for simplicity, I, I say to the guys, you know, what you it's like you need to become a plastic BB. <laughs> Your, your nature needs to be changed so that you don't have the magnetic pull. You need to become plastic so that it, it isn't pulling you and sucking you in, you know, automatically drawing what's natural to you into what is so wrong and so sinful. Got, got to have the regeneration. And as long, uh, you know, it's sort of the thing, like as long as the pull is still there, you really kind of need to be freaked out. <laughs> you know, that needs to frighten you. The fact that it would pull you in, you know. If it has that tug on your heart, then you need to sort of go running away, screaming, you know. Begging God for, you know, the change in the moment. The deliverance from whatever would naturally beset you, right? My, my enemy knows me very well. He, he, I'm sure he knows you very well also. And just when I think I'm doing wonderful, he comes along and he, he pushes that button that only he can push. And once he's found it, you know, anger, you know, somebody bugging me, he just he'll just keep pushing that. <laughs> you know. Uh, my, my wife has dragged me away from so many situations, you know. I'd just be in public and somebody do me wrong, you know. Shortchange me literally. Give them a 20, they give me change back for a five, you know. You're like trying to argue with them and you're losing your mind. Or, I, you know, I just went to the ATM. Here's my receipt. I know I gave you. And she's like, man, let it go. <laughs> just, just. Are you a pastor? Are you a Christian? What are you doing? Just you can't get over this. You don't trust God's going to take care of you. It's funny how you know my enemy can like I can be you know go from witnessing to somebody to the next moment the devil just reaches right in my life and pushes that one button. The thing that I've learned in that is is the Lord right? The Lord's allowing that. The Lord's allowing that. Why? Well, because over here where I was witnessing, you know, I would never say it to you, but I was sort of thinking like, well, I am deeply spiritual. <laughs> Have you noticed how I've witnessed to people out in public? And it's almost like the Lord says, oh, so you think you're spiritual? Let's see how spiritual you are in this situation. And he allows to expose to me that magnetic pull towards sin. I didn't think it was there. And he's like, oh, well, let's test the metal, man. <laughs> let's see what's going on with Will's heart. And, oh, you know, then I have to go through the whole process. Oh, I can't believe I behaved that way. can't believe, you know, it's been so long, and here I am. We need this refining and this changing to take place in our lives, not by works of righteousness, which uh, we have done, but according to the mercy he has saved us. Through the washing 
of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Renewing. Not reform, right? Take the old ugly character and chisel some new marks in it. You know, add a few features to it. You know, same old thing, just reshaped a little. Reformed. No, no. No, got to be an all new thing. The old thing's got to be gone. Completely gone. And the new thing regenerated needs to exist in its place. This is what we need to experience. The mercy of God does this. Not works of righteousness. Not, not oh, I'm going to be especially polished in this setting. No, not at all. No, your, your character is garbage and it needs to go completely. The world doesn't need you. <laughs> world doesn't need me, right? I think we would all quickly agree the world needs Jesus, right? And, and this is what Paul is saying when he says, for me to live is Christ. I've been renewed. When the world sees me, they don't see Paul, right? Why? Because they would have seen Saul of Tarsus. And oh, aren't we all glad that guy got gone? What, what they're seeing is Christ living in Paul. And this is Paul admonishing Timothy, you've got to walk this way. You've got to live this way. It has to be a, a continuous function in the Spirit. And, and keep in mind, right, this whole letter is both the letters to Timothy and to Titus is, Titus, as your training ministers, this needs to be their mindset. You need to make sure this is what's going on. Don't look for men that like have memorized the Bible and are really good speakers. Don't, don't look for them. Don't look for guys that have just nailed social media usage and know all the ins. Don't look for them. Look for the men whose character has been changed by God. That's, that's who you want. That's who you want in the role, this, right? Because he's especially to Titus, he's not even writing to Titus of, okay, now young pastor, right? He's saying to Titus, as you appoint pastors, as you make leadership in these churches that you're constructing, this is what you need to do. These are the people you need to look for. Because here in just a couple verses, he's going to say, I'm sending a couple guys your way, and when they arrive, they're going to replace you. You need to come back to me. So you know Paul's instructing the, them. So when you arrive, carry on. Read this letter I've written to Titus and carry on in this mindset. It, it's hard, isn't it? Because we, as, as spiritual as we may get, we still live in the flesh. So we still view things through the flesh. You know, oh, there's an impressive person. We should use them. Uh, are they a person who has been renewed by Christ? Are they someone who has been changed by the Holy Spirit? So this re regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Gosh, I wish he poured it out abundantly on me. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Oh, trust me, he has. <laughs> right? Look where you are today. You're sitting in church on a Wednesday night. Okay, let's rewind. Six, eight, ten, twelve years ago. Twenty years ago. 
Where would you have been on a Wednesday night? It wasn't church. It wasn't a Bible study, right? It wasn't anxious to serve the Lord. That's not where you were. He has abundantly poured his spirit out upon you. And you're right. We're right. We do need to right, relinquish control more and more abundantly to that spirit. But thank God he poured his spirit out upon us abundantly. And, and has redeemed and renewed and changed us, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, you guys, that, that term, we say it, right? Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. That, that is an accurate way of thinking about it. It's an accurate description. But do you think about that? In your relationship with the Lord, many of the things that that are spoken of about us, um, particularly the three justified, right, sanctified, and glorified. There's much more to it, but we think of that like, well, uh, okay, I've been justified, and we think of it in terms of, and I'm being sanctified, and someday I will be glorified with Jesus Christ. And to a degree, that's true, but the Scripture and Paul very much put it all in the present tense. We have been completely justified. We are completely sanctified. We are already glorified. I don't think of myself that way, right? I get trudging through the mud of my day, and when I think of justified, it's more along the lines of like, thank goodness he's going to forgive me for that. Okay, he's already forgiven you for that. When you said, I'm a filthy, wrong sinner, and I need to get saved, please make me your child, give me your Holy Spirit. You were instantly justified to the degree that it was as though you had never sinned. So presently, currently, constantly, it is as though you have never sinned. You say, well, then why do I need to confess my sins? Because you need to admit, especially, you do need to admit to the Lord, but you need to especially admit to yourself that what you're doing presently is a sin. Otherwise, we convince ourselves it's not. And we justify ourselves in staying in it. And that will do nothing but destroy our walk in relationship with the Lord. It could potentially lead us to a place of deception where you have to ask, do you even have a relationship with the Lord? So, so the justification is constant and present tense if we are submitted to it, if we are actually seeking it, if we are constantly in that purification process. But it is the justification as if, you had never, as if you'd never sinned. Christ does not look at us like, okay, come on, kid. Really would like to, you know, get this relationship straightened out again. The relationship has been straightened out by Jesus Christ's shed blood. Now, what can happen, as I just described, and we'll run over it one more time, is you can screw your own head up. If you've been justified, then what in the world are you doing living that way? Depart from it. Leave it. 
recognize it for the sinfulness that it is, and do what he's talking about in the opening of this description, right? We need to be purified, walking with him presently in this state. Why? Because we've been justified. The, the purified behavior is a result thereof. How can we live this way? Isn't this what Paul is saying? Romans chapter 6. How, you know, shall we, what then? Shall we continue in sin? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, even so should walk in a newness of life? A result of the justification. We need to depart from these things. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Constantly. Do you, do you hear? I mean, I, I kind of went on on the explanation, but you hear what Paul is saying? Uh, you've been justified by his grace, and, and you should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You've been adopted into the family. You, you were, you know, orphaned, left, alone, without, you know, any hope. Satan had left us as a human race in a place of utter hopelessness. Just picture the most desperate of circumstances. You know, the, the, the developing world and the third world's children suffer so badly every single day. It's, it's just horrifying how victimized they are. And that's essentially what every one of us were. Good parents or bad parents, you know, if they were unsaved, we, we without the Lord, were in a desperate situation. And he chose us. He adopted us. And he gave us equal status. That's crazy that he, that he elevated us to the positions of sons and daughters. And we get full inheritance, eternal life, his presence, our Father. That's a, that's an, an amazing thing, you know. John talking about you know being in his presence as we were singing together tonight. I just read through, you know we're going through study on Sunday evenings in Revelation and just the pictures you get of the throne room and the presence of the Lord and the majesty. You know, the enemy wants to to make heaven sound ultra boring, you know. Completely uneventful. You know, something that's just not even worth ever even you know, experience, you know, imagining, let alone experiencing. You know, heaven on earth, everything that humanity is trying to create for a utopic state of existence. I, I, no more disease. No more hunger. No, no more worry or fear no more concerns and, and no more sin you don't you don't have to wake up every day and be like oh there i am you know i just gotta i'm gonna have to wrestle with my nature again today i have to put to death will cast again you don't, you don't have to do that 
the, the great abundance of his creation, the great fruitfulness of the earth. Oh, a, I forget the last, I haven't looked at the last totals. Do you know uh, military budget last year, 60, $659 billion, right? You know, Amer America, I think it was... It was either $695 billion or $659 billion was, was America's budget for military last year. And that, that was more than the next 13 nations combined. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the money, the money that is spent on war. And we have to, you have to prepare for war. Planets that violent. Can't, you, can't, you can't live without being prepared to defend yourself. Scripture tells us, right, that we're going to take all of those resources and use them on agriculture. Uh, that'll be amazing to, to think about the great abundance that the world will have. You know, not, not concerned at all. Food, food source, just not even a concern, whatever. Not, not, not even remotely. Not, not even going to have to worry about grocery shopping or how to store it or how to do meal preparation. Just food will no longer be a concern. You know, most of the world has to worry about food constantly. Constantly. You know, uh, um, Vietnam, a family of four, uh, average income, $1,400 per year for a family of four. They usually live inside... A wooden shack. It might have a floor. It's usually a dirt floor. Um, they, they, as a family of four, eat four ounces of meat, or I shouldn't even say that, protein, a day. The rest of their diet is usually cereal grain, usually rice is what they're consuming. Food from birth to death is a constant worry for most of the world. For most of the world. There's going to be a time where we're going to be in the presence of the Lord and all of that is going to be erased. Disease and famine and pestilence and starvation and war. Gone. No more concern whatsoever. The fear that our culture is living in right now. COVID-19 and all that. It's just amazing. It's weird to see people lurch away from you, isn't it? You know, you've got your mask on and you just forget about six feet. You know, you're standing three feet away from somebody and you just say like, hey, how's it going? And they, it's like they just saw a monster. <laughs> They're jumping and lurching and concerned, you know, as, as though literally there were something there that was life-threatening. It'll be wonderful to not have these things. You know, the, the faithful saying, affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and striving. So, in other words, all social media. My goodness, the stuff. People just argue about the silliest things. Uh, you know, there's a whole movement right now of 
um, what what they call they call themselves discerning ministries. You know, I don't know if you've you've probably run into this. You know, they've usually got a web page. They've definitely got Facebook. They got a Twitter account. They're just jumping all over the place. And the minute somebody says something that is outside the parameters of what they say is correct biblical doctrine, oh, they're a total heretic. They blow them right up. You know, you should never go to their church. You should never do just because they don't agree with it. You know, we have the re reformed theologians out there who are, you know, quite adamant about a lot of these sorts of things. Not now, I don't know if you've had the pleasure of experiencing the ultra reformed theologians. You know, they refer to themselves this way. This is, I'm not making that up. They, they attack the reformed theologians and tear them apart all day. They're the ultra reformed theologians. You know, What's next, right? The ultra-ultras? You know, I, I just... You know what's coming, right? I mean, they'll, they'll just add another adjective to the front end of the thing. And why? And it's all about pride. Why? Because they want to argue. Avoid foolish disputes. Right? Yeah, well, where did Cain get his wife, you know? <laughs> uh, from his parents you know Adam and Eve lived to be a thousand years nearly a thousand years old after Cain and Abel they had sons and daughters so that's at least two sons and at least two daughters because it's plural if they lived to be a thousand years old and each of those children had four children themselves then by the time Adam and Eve passed away there'd be more than 78,000 people on this planet Cain married one of his relatives. You know, you're gonna argue. Well, yeah. Well, if God can do anything, then uh, can you know He make a rock so big that He wouldn't be able to lift it? You know, it just that that is a stupid question. There are there are stupid questions, and some people just like to fight. They really do. I didn't realize that till I was in high school. You know, I mean, I've been in a couple fights, but it was just like, you know, I didn't provoke it. It just jerks like to fight. You know, I lost both of them. But, you know, I knew fighting was a real thing. And I got into high school and I discovered that there were a group of guys in our high schools that on the weekends, this was like entertainment. They liked to fight, and they would purposely be looking for places and circumstances and opportunities. My friend Toby Guilford was the biggest smart mouth I've ever seen in my, in my life. Right, this guy he should have been he should have done stand up comedy. He just you could not heckle him. He was so sharp of wit, just right on top of his game. My friends, friends, the acquaintances I knew who liked to fight actually incorporated Toby in their crew because Toby would go and create fights. He would run his mouth until the fight ensues, and then they get to fight people. 
This is a real thing. And today, there are people that spiritually and intellectually, they just like to do that. They get a thrill out of engage, and especially if they know all the moves of a particular fight. Oh, that's your argument? Well, I know this about that argument and that about that argument, and I know how to, and they just wrangle their way through arguments. I, I, I am very much into apologetics. Oliver's very much into apologetics. We enjoy the subject. We like to teach. We're into this stuff. But we've also learned that there are people that like to fight. And they like to argue. And you need to stay away from them. This is ungodly. The Lord does not want us to do this. Here it is. Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies. My goodness, I cannot tell you how many times people have tried to get me into the argument over the Nephilim. You know, while the sons of God saw the daughters of men as attractive, came down, married them, and then, you know, the Nephilim resolved, and so whose children are they? And now we're going to argue about, and was that this race? And is that why the flood? And then, you know, were they the giants? And they're just, and round and round. And, and, and let's go back to where I started us this evening, right? How does that stop me from following my natural sinful nature? Right? Am I going to wake up tomorrow morning and because I won that argument, am I going to treat my wife better? Am, am I, am I going to be more prepared to love my neighbor? Am I going to have a deeper relationship with the Lord as a result of this? No, in fact, quite the opposite, right? Because I've fed my pride. I won the argument. <laughs> I won. They lost. I'm better. That's what this is all grounded in. This is all grounded in the sinfulness of my pride. And that's why Paul is saying, don't have anything to do with that. Y listen, Titus, you are building churches. And you are building pastors and elders who are going to be building churches. Stay away from this garbage. Do not engage yourself. Your temptation is going to be there. Why? Because you're a smart guy. You know stuff. That's why you're doing the job you're doing. Don't get sucked into this. Avoid it at all cost. Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Notice this. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. That's very straightforward, isn't it? Right? So it isn't, we don't just carry around a rubber stamp. And as soon as someone says, hey, what about this subject? We just smack them with the divisive stamp and throw them out the door. Right? Discuss it with them. Talk with them. Debate with them. Try to reason with them and win them over to sound doctrine. But if you find they're doing it again, and especially if you find that they're doing it again, put them out of the church. 
because they're just being divisive. Right? These people want followers. Followers. It's a little easier with social media, right? Because they label themselves influencer. Right? And right there, next to their title, will be the little number of followers. They're an influencer, and they've got followers. That's what they want to do. They want to create division, right? The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, they want to mutilate her. They want to cut her up. They want to dissect her. Oh, any husband in the room, somebody ever even suggested such a thing about your wife, they would be met with your fury, would they not? Christ does not want his bride molested. He does not want his bride divided. He does not want his bride dissected. Leave the church alone. You come into a church and that's your mindset, go someplace else. Go someplace else and, you know, maybe you're right, maybe you're legitimate, maybe you're correct. Go gather your followers unto yourself. Feed them. Don't come into an existing body and try to create division. Paul says, right, we just read it. If they come in and they do this, Throw them out with the full knowledge that they are warped. They're not straight. They're not clear line. They are twisted and sinning. Oh, well, they're probably sinning in this way. Or maybe they have this hidden sin. Or maybe there's that going on in there. We don't need to know. We don't have to sit around, right, and decipher what it is. It could be as simple as their pride. It could be as bad as, you know, hidden sexual sin or hidden, you know, drunkenness or hidden drug use. or so that Just know that if they come in and they are argumentative and divisive, that they need to be put out pretty quickly because they're warped and presently living in sin. Christ is going to deal with them. The body of Christ should not even try to deal with them because all it's going to do is create division. It's just going to create problems. Verse 12, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, so he's not even sure who he's sending yet, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So, again, what I referenced earlier, he's going to replace Titus. I'm going to send one of these ministers who's of equal capability as yourself, right? Because he's going to replace you. So I'm going to send somebody. I need you, your personality, your characteristics, you here with me. So send, you know, I'm going to send them to you and you be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. I'm going to spend the winter here. Send Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. 
um, the idea of you have all of the resources and supplies that they need, make sure they get 100% of that and send them on their way. It's important that their work and their ministry and their journey begin as soon as possible. I like the urgency in that. When you can recognize that somebody has a calling, has an opportunity, why wait? Do everything you can to send them on your way. You know, I, I think of Travis Carey down, down in Portland right now in Westbrook and uh, just uh, having, you know, he was in in staff meeting this morning via Zoom, and they are they're desperate for a new building because they've outgrown where they're at. And there's there's an opportunity to possibly buy the building, but that's not going to happen, I guess, for a year. And they don't have time to wait a year and continue to grow at the rate that they're going. So, you know, why wait? <laughs> you know what I'm saying like spur the thing on. 275,000 people in the greater Portland area. Why would you wait? Strike while the iron is hot. Do everything you can. I know that uh, Chuck Smith uh, early on recognized the call and the gifting and the opportunity of Greg Laurie and just invested tremendously into his ministry in order to see that that thing took off and did what it did. Think about the, you know, we can definitely say, you know, tens of thousands of souls, maybe hundreds of thousands or even millions of souls that have come to the Lord uh, through Greg Laurie's ministry. Oh, why, why would you wait? Just, you know, make sure these things uh, get done as they should. And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful, right? Because there are needs people think are urgent, but they're not urgent. Pay attention to the urgent needs, right? Some people all, all the time are like, I am in crisis and need the church's help, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. And you talk to them and eh, not really, not, not really, you know, yes, you have a situation and yes, you know, we all need to pray together, but um, there there are people right in your midst around you who are really in trouble, right? So, so it does mean that the leadership needs to be able to make the assessment, right? Oh, one of the biggest conflicts I ever got in when we first started this church was an individual who thought they knew what we should be doing in every situation in this church. And they didn't have a clue. They did not have a clue. You know, we need to go help that family. Not really. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to help that family right now by trying to help the husband realize he needs to quit smoking pot every day and drinking beer every day. That That's that, you know, but you don't need to know that. You know what I'm saying? The world doesn't need to know that. The church doesn't need to know that. Now, this individual over here who's got, you know, chronic illness does need our constant attention and help. The, the church leadership here, right, you know, maintain good works to meet the urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. The church does need to care for people. And lastly, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith, 
Grace be with you all. Amen. What a closure. The, you know, the grace of God is, is the thing. You know, you can treat that like just a standard greeting. But my goodness, it is the grace of God that we need. I need the grace of God. And we each need the grace of God in order to deal with one another. That's the only way, right? You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And we say, you know, help me to forgive those who sin against me. You know, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. And Jesus closes that out by saying, if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Right? The overarching concept of you need to live in grace constantly. You're sucking it in and you're putting it out. Your, your life is a life of grace. Uh, that's what's going to keep you from having these foolish disputes and these arguments. Just recognizing, nope, <laughs> you know, right or wrong, the argument needs to end here. This foolish discussion isn't producing anything. The grace of God makes us just let go of this. The grace of God needs to be the core and the center of our lives, our existence as Christians and our ministries. Amen? Amen. So, Philemon, uh, next week when we're together. So we'll pray and then uh, fellowship for a while. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace, for your word, and pray that you would help us to live according to the things that we've read here, that we would truly be men and women who were washed by the regeneration, that our lives would be changed, that we would indeed be people who were born again. Lord, we beg for it more and more with every passing moment that our lives would be characteristic of you, less like ourselves, more like you with every passing day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.